Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds from the studios of WBNS Radio in Columbus, Ohio. This is the Nerd Association Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Barnett. And I'm your other host, Mark Finch. And it's a little early to dive into the horror themes of uh, spooky time in October, but we're, we're just about there. And this was a, a new release I wanted to talk to you. So I, I'll yeah, throw it absolutely. out there. Daniel, what do you think of when I say, wait, are you saying the killer is your imaginary friend? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. That makes you think of all the, I feel like this is one of those horror tropes over the years, but I've never seen it quite play out like in the movie that we're going to be talking about today, which I mean, let me pull back the curtain if I may, uh, which is Malignant, which is out right now in theaters and on HBO Max. It is directed by James Wan. And you and I were talking uh, before the episode and we can go into this maybe a little bit later, but James Wan is kind of. He's kind of uh, in has his fingers in lots of pies in the la- for the last twenty years, especially when it comes to horror. But um, has- especially with creating franchises, yes. which makes studio studios love that because it makes them a lot of money, and they're already halfway there when they greenlight a new one. And, and I mean, he's kind of if you think about it. I mean, so for for those aren't, who aren't familiar with James Wan, he was directly involved in the Saw, the Saw franchise when it started, yep. and. Um, since then has directed The Conjuring and Insidious and is on board uh, at least, w- I mean, has been in, on board in some form or fashion with most of the Saw films and The Conjuring Yeah, I think he like produces and- The Conjuring movies now. He stopped directing. I think he did the first two, right. but he's still like on there as a producer and keeps all that rolling. And of course, if rumors are to be believed, Insidious is getting, you know, another, another installment. And so... James Wan, he's this Australian uh, writer, director, producer who just kind of everything he touches turns to gold when it comes to horror and really kicks off a lot of these. I mean, Saw is a great example of the sort of torture porn, uh, you know, flood of torture porn horror movies that came out after Saw and and, you know, has dealt with the sort of conjuring and insidious, these supernatural and then of now, you know, you throw a throw a stone and and there's so many of these you know hit 10 of these supernatural horror films mm-hmm. not to say that it's not a you know a good part of the genre but it's he kind of seems to be on the vanguard of a lot of this stuff and i would yeah, say malignant is is proof positive of that maybe again or at least sort of reinvigorating a particular subset of of horror yeah, and we'll have to see exactly how people respond. It's still, rel- I think it's only been out of a week and a half as of recording here. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned all of his pedigree with horror, and he's yeah at the top of the current horror directors, pretty much of of anybody. And then you throw in that he directed Aquaman, mm-hmm. and that's a Warner Brothers movie, and that movie make you know like a billion dollars, right. a big tentpole superhero action movie. Then Warner Brothers goes, okay, you made us all this money and you uh, are also very adept at making horror films. So sure, make right. this horror film you want to make. And I'm so glad that every once in a while, directors still get the opportunity to just kind of do whatever they want. And yeah. there's no way this was like a pick the script off the pile and like, okay, we'll just make this one. This is definitely like a project from James Wan. Yeah, you said uh, you said it earlier that like, there's no way you could pretend this wasn't an original film. Um, right. And and we say that, 
I mean, I so can we let's give a quick spoiler free review, which is to say, like, this movie is a lot of fun. If you're a horror fan, it definitely mm-hmm. uh, owes a lot to the Giallo films, the Italian horror films of the 70s and 80s. And we can talk a little bit more about Giallo in a little bit. But if you like a classic slasher film, but also like kind of a psychological suspense uh you know film and also uh if a f- the wtf is a thing you like to say when you're watching a movie this has got all of that <laughs> in spades it's definitely got yeah a wtf payoff but i did find myself still interested in the mystery even though it gets like so absurd and out there and it felt i it's hard to tell the intent with this like if if the things that like really make you kind of scratch your head were intentional then he's like a genius yeah and this is perfect it kind of reminded me into the not not quite as campy but kind of like sam raimi yeah and his, have you ever seen drag me to hell for sure yeah, yeah i was thinking of that movie during this because that also like centers on like a woman who like nobody really believes her what's going on and she's going through all these this crazy stuff and and, and then it gets really really ridiculous as it goes. So it kind of reminded me of a Sam Raimi movie. You know what else popped into my head while I watched it? What's that? Was Wet Hot American Summer. Okay. Because, because it's it's sort of like a spoof satire, but not like the reference stupid ones, like the ones that are done really well, where there's like a bunch of things you, you, you recognize from these movies, but things are just maybe a little bit off or a little bit exaggerated. And that kind of makes you enjoy it more when you are a fan of horror films or in wet hot American summer, summer camp comedies from like the eighties. And it kind of reminded me of that. And again, it's hard to tell with intention because one that like really stuck, stood out to me is like, Ooh, the, the static on the TV. That's really scary. That's a, that's a common trope, but these are HD TVs in the modern day and they don't have static. Exactly. So is he make, is that a joke or is that just them? Like, not caring about HDTVs and how they actually work. And in the end, it might not even matter because I still had a lot of fun and enjoyed the movie a ton. And I think, um, you know, you, you say that like, it's, it's partially a, like a, a tropey movie, but also at the same time, it's definitely a love letter. And so I think there are certain things in the film that the, the static in the TV, some of the more specifics we can talk about once we're into spoiler territory very shortly. the establishing shots of the house where it's like ridiculously yeah. foggy and <laughs> but, <laughs> but old Victorian. I will also say that while it's certainly, and, and James Wan has said like, this is his love letter to the giallo genre. It's also so many of the visuals are like fight club and definitely like inspired by David Fincher, the intro mm-hmm. to the movie. And I don't mean the, like the, the sort of pre intro. I mean the sort of the, you know, cr- beginning credits, if you want to call them that, um, yeah are almost uh, almost absurdly a ripoff of the Fight Club in, in opening. Um, and which you is, barely see those anymore, too. That's a, right. that's a directorial choice. It used to be just normal, like, boilerplate stuff, but it's co- sort of a directorial choice at this point. Most people kind of... Most movies seem to have skipped over that portion of filmmaking where you do, like, an, a, a themed opening credits thing. But yeah. this one, I mean, it's minutes long. Yeah, and and like I said, very much about the paying off on the sort of um quick shots of of you know th- important easter egg notes you know the in this case the the medical charts uh the body the internal body shots of like cells dividing and things like yeah. that um yeah it and very into of the atmospheric yeah 
Have you ever seen the um, the House on Haunted Hill, the remake one with like Chris Kattan and stuff? It's not a very good movie. No, but I've I saw seen when the, I was. I've seen the original House on Haunted yes. Hill. Well, the uh, the original. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which one? There've been, yes, there've been a, yeah, there've been several interpretations. There was one in the '90s with uh, Chris Kattan was in, it, and that's yeah. the yeah, and um, is Mackay Pfeiffer in it? Or, Pro- I don't know. <laughs> probably. And uh, it, that one, it's not a very good movie, but the beginning of this one kind of reminded me of that, especially with like the, so in that one, like the, it's like an insane asylum and it gets taken over by the, by the patients right. there. And then it's haunted and, and all this stuff. So then after that, they kind of, it, it, it has a similar feel to that with like the, you know, weird medical things going on and all this stuff. And the, that's kind of the intro, um, the right. actual intro. I think we should talk about too, for sure. All right. So yeah, at this point, we don't normally give this warning, but because um, this is a, a relatively br- new, a brand new movie, yeah. Um, and it's you. You don't want it spoiled either. I mean, I will say that the I think the um, the twist was pretty obvious pretty early, at least to me. Um, but we can talk about that. I that didn't ruin okay. it for me though. Even to be like, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on here. Um, so okay spoilers now yeah let's talk about the intro so well let's just talk about the film as a whole so it's worth mentioning or talking a little bit more about what the giallo genre is because we're going to be talking about it a lot um yeah giallo is the italian word for yellow and it refers to pulp novels that were printed with these yellow covers back in the day that were very again like pulpy horror um some of the origins of like slasher literature are in these uh, these Italian horror books, which then became a genre of movies. And names like Mario Bava and Dario Argento, uh, Lucio Fulci are like some of them, and, and even and Ennio Marconi, who's most well-known stateside for uh, scoring The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, did a lot of the scores for these films, um, you know, which we would consider kind of pulpy and maybe B or even C movies. But like mm. this... What, who, what we would call an acclaimed uh, com- acclaimed composer kind of got cut his teeth on a lot of that stuff. But anyway... The weirdest thing, too, about uh, when we're talking about the sound and composing of Giallo movies, if yeah. you haven't seen one, is apparently this is a trend. It might not be just specific to Giallo movies, but like a trend uh, overseas that they just film with actors and then they dub it over in whatever language they want the right. film to be in so the first time i saw the movie suspiria i did not know this fact and <laughs> I, I was like was, why is yeah <laughs> like is the because i was streaming it and i was like is there something wrong with the sync here and then you just realize and you, you do get used to it after after a while but it is a weird thing the first time you see a, a giallo movie well and and some of the other tropes of giallo movies are um i mean graphic gore um bright neon colors yeah and bright neon colors and lights he, like super fast zooms into especially into people's faces but just in general big zooms um yeah. but even things as specific as almost all the time the the killers are like black leather glove wearing um they're almost always murdering with knives which is very like specific to this not specific to this genre but um you know, it's where slasher gets its name. If if all yeah. horror movies were guns, they wouldn't be called slashers, right? And because of the black glove thing, it's like the... I mean, you know somebody's killing somebody, but it's not as obvious as like, oh, it's the guy in the hockey mask who we need to watch out for. It's right. kind of a mystery who the actual killer is. And, and so much of the time, and, and again, it's almost been overdone at this point, but things like hallucinations and not being able to trust your own senses are often 
a part of these movies. And of course, they're always a little bit noir where there's some hardened detective who's trying to track down the killer, which it combines these genres in this really unique way that that you don't see that much anymore. Like there's lots of psychological thriller movies where there is a serial killer and you do have like a hard nosed detective trying to track them down. But those are almost Mm -hmm. never the same movies as the gory slasher pick or the one where like it's it's like an acid trip like those are usually separate movies nowadays they don't make a ton of acid trip type movies anymore because not as people not as many people do acid but uh (laughs) and generally those like kind of trippy movies they aren't you know released on hbo max by with a big warner brothers logo at the front and directed by a director who's pretty much at the top of directing right now yeah but these things were uh, when giallo was big like those it was expected that those those movies had big name directors they had a lot of these tropes and and uh, as i said james wan was up front in saying that while this movie is not derivative of any property certainly it it is a love letter to giallo and there are certain things that you can um point to as being uh references it's similar to almost. like when you watch a movie now and you're like oh i can tell this is a detective noir right movie well it's, but it's, it's also like, like there are things that it pays tribute to and in particular like the movie we and i talked a little bit ahead of time like there's a movie called the girl who knew too much that it has very similar plot beats but then it's also a little bit like the movie a lizard in a woman's skin in a which we'll talk about as we sort of talk about the the through lines but it has these nods, but it's still completely original and harebrained and bonkers and like <laughs> full of what the fucks, but also is is earnest and sincere and believes in itself. And again, you were kind of like, are these jokes or are they? But they're too earnest to be jokes. And I really just think yeah, that it's, it, yeah, it's just like a tribute basically to these things. It like borders into, I think it like hits at the same, I don't think it's a so bad it's good movie, but I think it hits kind of that same receptor in your brain sure. of how you're enjoying it and like why you might be enjoying it, where it's just a little bit, you're just like, this is a little off, but I'm still having a good time. But it's definitely not like a mockbuster yeah. where like it's intentionally trying to look super cheesy i think camp is a, is a better word to drift into for that and but uh it, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's almost like a low budget horror movie but it's not and it's almost like um you know when m night Shyamalan first started making movies before the twists got so obvious but you would go to an m night Shyamalan movie and the twist would hit you right and like, whoa like i didn't see that coming it it has it has all these tropes that should feel corny at this point. And yet I think it manages to pay off on them in a really fun way. Well, and I think even if you do guess the twist, which definitely I watched it a second time yesterday yeah. in preparation for this. And definitely the second time, obviously, you know, the twist, but you can really see like, Oh yeah, if you were really paying attention, like it wouldn't be too hard to guess. But even if you guessed it, I don't think you can really claim you guessed it like exactly how like bonkers it gets no pretty wild to me i'll say this okay so the movie is uh let's give a very brief overview so people understand if you haven't seen it yet this is kind of the the story there is a uh a woman well the movie starts out with this scene in this sort of experimental hospital and some one or thing in this movie goes off like a horror creature does and kills i thought it was gonna be 
I thought that was going to be a movie within a movie. Like it was going to zoom out from a television screen gotcha. at one point and people were watching because it was so over the t- overacting, over the top, d- very faux dr- dramatic. And, yeah. uh, and then I was like, oh, no, this is just part of the movie. So that's when I was like, oh, is this just going to be really bad? But I, I, I stuck with it and I'm very glad I did. And then it flashes forward without any sort of clear at first. It's not clear how the intro and the and the rest of the movie are connected. It becomes clear. But, but it focuses on a woman named Maddie Madison Mitchell. She's pregnant. She's clearly excited about this new baby. Immediately, things are awful with her husband or partner or whatever. They, I guess it is her husband. They do say that. Yeah. But he's a jerk immediately, like in the most soap operatic way possible. And She turns off the TV and he yells, at, I was watching that. And then like with very little provocation, smashes her head into a wall, which is like the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. Um and throughout the movie, these people, uh, first her husband, and then some of the characters from the intro, the the experimental doctor and one of the other doctors, like, and then there's, uh, you know, are all being killed in these grisly ways. And Madison is having these sort of psychic visions of these murders. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's a woman in captivity who at first I thought was Madison, but then also she was living her life. And of course, it becomes clear later that it's Madison's biological mother who's being held captive and yeah they they start talking about how well uh you know you're adopted and i don't remember anything from before i was eight and i wish i had these blood relations and she keeps saying things like in my head in the back of my head blah 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 and then she mentions the name of the thing that you know called her or whether or not it was in her head we don't we're still not sure at this point and that's when her adopted mother is like oh well that leads me to something when she says the name gabriel and then they watch some videos of her as a child interacting with what seems like an imaginary friend but in really disturbing ways and of course you know kids sometimes have that thing where they're creepy and they don't know they're being creepy but this feels more intentional and you get the impression, and I think the assumption I had was that Gabriel was a brain tumor that had been removed from Maddie slash Emily, her birth name, and mm-hmm. had like somehow become sentient and grown a body, and that it was trying to like get back into her head. Um, but no, uh, the killer <laughs> is not the imaginary friend. The killer is not necessarily a, a sentient walking brain tumor. It's that they couldn't excise all of Gabriel and there's a piece of him still embedded in the back of her skull, which of course there's all these unnatural movements of the killer throughout the movie that you see. And of course it's because she's moving backwards because he's in the literal back of her head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When, when I first on that, like chase scene, uh, I'm like, is it like her shadow? Yeah. What's going on here? Like, why does it move so strangely? And they mentioned that the handprints on the the husband after he's murdered by Gabriel, I guess, uh, that like all the handprints are upside down. Right, or, from like, what you would like, expect. Hanging off the ceiling. Yeah. 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 And, and from that description alone, that seems like a, like a grown worthy twist, except <laughs> <laughs> I think it, Except the 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 very ending is a little cheesy to me in which, you know, at the near the ending, uh, the detectives that are investigating figure out like, OK, it, well, they figure out when uh, that Maddie is the killer or somehow involved directly in the killings 
when a woman plunges through her ceiling and crashes into the coffee table right in front of them. And just, I mean, I guess it was one of those attics that has like the soft ceiling. It's just to walk on the boards right. or something like that. I mean, this lady takes one step and just falls. I mean, cause it's the, it's like the second floor window. It's like this big atrium right. living room type stuff. And she just plummets it. like, Oh man. And, and then you realize of course that these scenes of this woman being killed, held hostage were in Emily's attic the whole time, uh, which they set up in the, in a kind of like, okay, you, you question every time you see that scene, okay, she's clearly in an attic of some kind, but like which attic they do in fact show there's that establishing shot of the fan in every one of those scenes. And you can actually see that fan from the outside of the house. Okay. When you look. That would help give it away. Well, because, but she's also the, what's Serena is her name, Correct. the biological mother. She, uh, when she gets kidnapped, she's giving a tour of this Seattle underground, which yeah. I didn't even know existed and is apparently a real thing, yeah. um, which we can get into. But I thought maybe she was somehow that was kidnapped under, even though it looks like an attic and there's the fan. Right. I thought maybe, she, maybe it's, you know, some hideout for this, for this villain there. But well, and it's, they it's lead not, you to believe that attic. because of the visuals yeah. that then there's a, a chase scene later, which by the way, what detective who has already been like stabbed and slashed is going to follow a killer into a tiny hole into a, like the bottom of a building that's completely dark. Like that's the dumbest possible thing you could do. Yeah. Especially like, you don't know if this guy's working with anybody or right. what you're running into. Like, and this person, you're not going to catch him. This was the person who just, Jumped down from, the side of a building <laughs> by, by jumping from level to level of a fire escape of a fire escape by catching themselves on the next level down. And then I don't know why he's going down the fire escape, making good enough time. And at about the third level, so not too much left. He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he just jumps and shoulder first into a, not an open dumpster, yeah. like the cliche, <laughs> a closed dumpster. And then just hits it and goes, ah, yeah. and then gets up and keeps running. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, again, it's one of those things where it is so ridiculous and you kind of laugh, except it's, you're so, it's so tense. I will, I'll say this about this movie too. So much of modern horror is quiet moments between jump scares. Mm -hmm. And certainly there were elements of that in this film, but there's a point at which you're, you're, you're just tense for the rest of the movie. Well, there and there were no <laughs> faux jump scares in this one right. either. Everything was, you know, oh, the door's open or, oh, she saw something run by the corner of her eye or, oh, somebody yelled at her because she's seeing this vision of somebody who's about to be murdered because this it, it's jam packed with, I, I wouldn't call it actually scary. And maybe that's just like a high tolerance to, to horror movies, but I think it's jam packed with like actual horror beats and not just I random agree. stuff going on. I agree with that. It again, it's not scary as much as it is just high anxiety for mm -hmm. so much of the film. Um, if you give it the right shot, it's pretty enthralling. I would say I, I would it, agree. It pulls you in. And I, exactly. Well, and like I said, it, it there, there comes a point where it's no longer jump scares. You're just tense. And the, I will also give credit to James Wan. Who's been doing this long enough. He should know the, pacing of the scares or the you know the the really tense moments is not what you would normally expect out of a horror movie there's not like the swell of violins or the thing that points to the fact that a grisly thing's about to happen there are of course visual clues and narrative clues but you're used to in movies so much of the time there are things that tell you the jump scare is coming and that 
like telegraph it a little bit. And I would say yeah. that he's really good at, at off setting that pace in a way that you don't actually know when it's, you know, it's going to happen, one that, but you don't know exactly the moment that it's going to happen until it already has. The one I feel like, yeah, you're is a good reference for that is when she's doing the laundry and then you see Dr. Weaver's face right. in the window of her front load laundry thing. And that's a good one. That's like, Oh, you, you, yeah, you're kind of like in the idea that like, oh, there's probably going to be another scare soon. Maybe yeah. they show her doing the laundry. But then to see like somebody's, she's in an empty house to see somebody's face reflected in that and screaming and like that gets you. And another thing it 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 does is, uh, it, especially the kill of the second doctor. Yeah. Big, wide, gory shots. This yes. isn't, they're not leaving too much to the imagination of how this uh, black-gloved killer is killing people. But simultaneously, the the sort of, um, the sort of, uh, the quickness of the shots and the framing of the shots, even though the there is a lot of gore and it's, you are seeing it, there is a lot of it that's implied at the same time, if that makes sense. Like you can see all the blood, but there aren't too mm -hmm. many close up shots of guts and gore, which is actually it's something Giallo is known. Like a lot of Giallo films show you the gore super up close. It's definitely not body horror in that either. It's like, I don't, it's, I, I wish I could come up with a better term for this type of violence. Cause it's not cartoon violence, but it's like non visceral very bloody violence if that makes sense it's less visceral in a way to me At, well there's a ton of violence but it, there uh, but it cuts so quickly you don't get to focus on it long enough so your brain has read that the violence has happened but there's yeah. not it doesn't just st stay on it on the screen and i think another honestly the most uh, not to interrupt you yeah, sorry go, no go ahead honestly the most shocking bit of violence for me is probably the least bloody uh, it's when the husband slams her head into the wall. Yes. And that's a really well, that goes back to like our discussion on uh, Kevin Ganeff himself, where like you don't normally see domestic violence in well lit wide shots. Correct. And that, you see it there and it's, it's, it's a little jaw dropping. Well, and the crunch of bone and the, yeah, the fact that like, you're right. It's a wide shot of a man abusing his wife in a really realistic way. And it is, yeah. to me, yeah, it's very jarring because there's nothing cartoonish or implied about it at all. You see it in full daylight and it's hor it is horrifying. And actually, it makes you really glad that that guy gets got moments later <laughs> yeah. because he's so you're almost rooting for the for the killer at that point. Oh, I was. I was 100 percent. I the moment that I mean, I knew it was a horror film and the moment he was such a dick, I thought this guy's going to get it and I'm going to cheer. I'm glad it actually <laughs> happened as soon as it did because I didn't want to have to put up with any more of his crap. Yeah, um, that character is, there's nothing redeeming about it. You, you, you definitely don't want him around for any more of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, that guy's horrible. One talks about like all the miscarriages she's had, which is terrible. And like he pokes says her it, in like, the in belly the way he, and then, yeah. He like says, you're killing, you keep killing my baby and stuff. And it's just like, uh, it's and gross. it's like, he's like mad at her for coming home from work, but also mad at her for working. But he, is he employed? Cause he's in the middle of the day in normal clothes, laying on the bed, watching an MMA fight while like playing around with his phone. Right. It's, it's the, he seems, he's a loser is what he is. Yeah. So, and, and yet they live in this big, beautiful house. Uh, Which I I think there's something missing in there. Did, but she obviously doesn't like her 
they visit her adopted mom right. who's still living in their house and it's like did we miss a line or did we miss a detail that it get cut somewhere that like they inherited this house because they've, they've got this nice big victorian house that's too big for the on the inside for the outside shots but it's still a big house even from the outside but it's all furnished with like 70s and 80s furniture i mean and it's I, like why would young people have all this old furniture i mean i think it's well first of all i think she's supposed to be a nurse um mm-hmm. because she comes home wearing scrubs maybe a doctor they don't really say um so it's possible she's coming home from being a doctor and that's how they've made all their money also i do think part of the 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 sort of um furniture choices set dressing choices are meant to be an um, homage to the 70s and 80s films which would have I been think you're right you know having these sort of vintage things i will tell you i think one of the the best shots in the whole house or on the whole film is when the after the initial murder scene she has sort of reinforced things and there's that scene where she's running around the house away they, from the thing and they do the and top they do it down from the shot. ceiling yeah the ceiling view basically and it makes you think it's a dollhouse i mean it just looks like they're shooting inside of a dollhouse in a way that makes you very much feel like it's a literal like she's being toyed with or she's being played with and you actually i mean in retrospect she is this is an imaginary scene for her where she's running around and doing these things but in actuality she's going to murder somebody um, that uh, that shot also reminded me of uh, Hereditary, and then even kind of the uneasiness reminded me of the director Ari Aster yeah. of Hereditary and uh, Midsummer. These movies aren't very similar, but the some of those stylistic choices. Well, and those are me. and those are all callbacks to The Shining, which is the scene in the in the maze at the end where they zoom out yeah. and you see the top down shot, and it's actually the maze in the hotel. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. they're looking down, like, uh, you know, he's looking down at his son running through the maze and even, but he's in the hotel and it's the model. Like those are yeah. all references. I think to that shot, maybe that's a reference to something that I don't know about, but I think it's all. And then of course, cool it's thing very on Kubrickian. That, yeah. Cool thing on that top down shot that I noticed that on the second watch through is it, uh, it really gives you a layout of the house. And I didn't notice this. So, cause that ceiling is so high in the living room because as it, as it like follows her around, it goes over, like it yeah. only shows the top floor when there's a, a, a floor between you and where she is on the first floor. And then it, then it goes over that balcony and then it's on the stairwell and then it's her. So I, yeah. I, I liked how it wasn't just top down of that first floor. It was top down. Like you were in the attic or something Correct. like that, which again is sort of, which is probably where Gabriel is at that point. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where they sort of, the implication is that, well, and, and then later you do realize that Gabriel can kind of, uh, trick her optic nerve into thinking she's seeing other things. So yeah, yeah who knows? I don't know. It's again, it, it incorporates a lot of these sort of creepy tropes, but it's, it's so beautifully done. And the visuals of this movie are so giallo and so beautiful. And like I said, the big, the the you know the close zooms and the huge shots of people's eyes that are like snow white in <laughs> usually bathed with the rest of the scene in some other color um i even thought the weapon which we said you know giallo almost has black glove killers wielding knives and the fact yeah. that the killer uh gabriel the brother tumor ter- the teratoma <laughs> if you want to use the medical term um the brother i like brother tumor brother tumor 
uh, is a black glove killer wielding a like yellow gold knife, yellow giallo. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was so it was so in your face, but also like you kind of love it because it's not trying to be, it's not pretending to be anything other than that. You know what I mean? I could see her having the black leather gloves. I'm not sure why her attic has that jacket that Gabriel wears. It's like a, it's almost like a, like an anime character jacket with like how like big the hood is and the, or the collar the cowl, yeah. and stuff like that. But again, you can just, it's a movie. You can let right. that stuff. Go. Uh, another thing that I thought was cool homage type stuff, but it's, it, I, I don't know. This is how I think about movies in the after part. I was okay with it during the movie, but like the, the look of the Simeon hospital, especially yeah. when the sister goes back, it's with- like, <laughs> this doesn't look like a place to shut down in 1995. Right. Well, this yeah. Looks like a place <laughs> that should have she- shut down in the fifties and been open since like the 1800s. Yes. Yeah. And then, well, and then it's this huge towering thing on a cliffside. She parks her Prius right <laughs> on the edge, which is like a red herring. Right. I think it's just because he wanted to put in a really cool map painting as the background there. Yeah. But and it looks great. But she parks it right on the edge, and you're like, "Oh, is something gonna happen." And then she goes into the uh, into this giant hospital, and you're like, "Oh, is something gonna happen?" Nothing happened. She just goes and gets the records. But well, another were- thing I noticed there. Sorry. Go ahead. One last thing that's disorienting about that is she goes up to the directory, the East Wing, I believe, and it says first floor, second floor, basement. And I was like, this thing looks like it has 20 stories. Why is that the directory? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I also think um, you were talking about how there aren't any false jump scares in this movie. And now I'm going to have to disagree with you because going to that former research hospital is a false jump scare. Although once you know the twist, it's not a false jump scare because... At that moment, Maddie's behind bars, so there, so yeah. a killer can't come after uh, the sister, as Sydney. It, so they take you into this, uh, you know, this ramshackle, broken down research hospital, and You're there's, like, there's something noises, paranormal and, going on. Right. something has to happen. And there's, you know, the the lights are flickering. There's the sound of footsteps, and she's going into the basement, and she says, "Of course, it's in the basement." And then it just cuts back to her in the living room with her mom watching these VHS tapes that she found in the files. And yeah, I mean, that's a false jump scare because unless you have no, you know, the twist or you figured it out at that point, you, you do believe Sydney's in danger. Yeah. That whole scene's a red herring of just like, something's going to happen. And right. then, nope, nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, the, I want to talk a little bit about the detectives Yes, as well. Um, the they seem to be kind of playing it up especially the uh the second detective it really reminded me of like a wanda sykes character in a yes. comedy yeah but she's just kind of she's they're just like yucking it up as like the buddy detectives but they're like going in and it, it sort of reminds you like when people make fun of like the one-liners in like a law and order or csi type show right where they're like oh you wouldn't want to be a this guy today and it's like yeah the man who's brutally murdered and folding in on himself i wouldn't and then well and, there's and the, by the way kakoa shaw is they you know clearly they wanted david duchovny or keanu reeves and couldn't get either of them so they cast this guy that that looks like i mean he looks so much like young david duchovny as fox Mulder. Uh, it's not even I funny see it now yeah. yeah yeah and then they try to they try to give him a like a romance in there one the the sister seems to be taking a liking to him too but then there's also like the the crime scene investigation right lady and her character seems a bit off and uh 
thanks to the guys that happened the bag for pointing this out. And I, I, I looked it up too. It's Ingrid Bisu, who was one of the co-writers <laughs> and James Wan's wife. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. So she's been in like a couple of the conjuring films and gets some, some small roles, but yeah, she seems to be on the more creative side, but does some of the acting and it just, yeah, her, it's fine that Hollywood's all about who, you know, but it just like, it, it makes sense. You're like, why is this role so distracting of this like girl who like, they don't care about building up this romantic relationship between right. these two, but every time they see each other, she has like a little flirty line that feels out of place for the movie. And it's just, yeah, I don't well, know. Her, thing you can her talk introduction it up is as miss desperately single. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and she's like, I haven't seen anything this gruesome except for in a vehicular uh, accident. And she's like smiling because she's like blushing that the detective's here. And she refers to the husband's murder as something special. This is really something special. Um, <laughs> and yeah. then they're looking for the weapon and she's like, we could only find the bottom. And he's like, well, you better find that other half. And she's like, don't, shouldn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> it's like talking about the murder weapon of this gruesome murder in which you're still looking at the victim. Yeah. No, I mean, her, her character's almost exclusively played off for laughs. Although there is that moment when she's in the, the evidence locker and has her glasses off. You know how there's always that thing where like the nerdy girl takes her glasses off and all of a sudden she's super sexy. Right. That's that scene that's, for that character. Well, because that's how they play. That's exactly how they play her character yes. up. She's like the nerdy girl who has a crush on the quarterback. Right. But instead she's a crime scene investigator and he's a detective. Yeah. And he's, and he's, it's funny because as he's supposed to be the hardened, you know, bulldog of a detective. And yet he's kind of, he's kind of slapstick in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, he's hapless he, in some ways. Well, and then he's like, he's like, take all these books. We're going to look through all of them. And it's like, maybe look through the only one she has off the shelf. <laughs> right. Instead of looking at that one dead last. And yet he's super clever in that he's immediately like looks at the photo and says, age this up 30 years. Like he's already got it figured out. Why are you doing <laughs> Right. It's like, yeah. find the one that that the, the, maybe the picture that's out is associated with the only book that's off the shelf. Instead. Yeah. He looks through all, I, don't I know, do think like some like of those of moments are not, I wouldn't say jokes, but I think winking at the audience for being like, Hey, do you recognize this clueless detective trope wink from I, the I, Giallo I, movies? But also he's, I, you're supposed to think he's the hero wink. <laughs> like, and I think there's another like aspect where it's like a little winky and it's like they show that police department and they're supposed to be in Seattle. And yeah. it's like that room, the detective room, like their office space yeah. is like a million dollar a year lease at minimum. Right. If it's really in Seattle. And then it's it definitely gets to the end, like the realize, classic New York City. Like yeah. Old, old, you know, gothic building that was built in the 1930s. And, you know, but they didn't have that in Seattle in the 1930s. And But then you get to the end and you're like, oh, they needed a big room for their, I don't know, Matrix style yes. fight scene. So let's talk about that, because in the middle of this movie, it turns into a Matrix style. And I'll and I'll say too, the the computer graphics are about Matrix level. Like 1999 computer graphics, maybe a little bit better than that, but definitely you, I suddenly felt like I was playing a, a video game because it, yeah, because the, the, the graphics in that part or the computer generated the CGI and that stuff. Not, not super great, pretty obvious when it's CGI. I mean, still fun. And like how, otherwise, how are they going to do the stuff they do? But 
it did i it yeah. did take me out of the movie for a minute where i was like batman this is well, really like, bad cgi yeah because, especially because it really because the movie isn't really filled with cgi right so it like changes like i don't know if specifically the aspect ratio changes but it's sort of like that you ever seen that in a movie when they change the aspect ratio yeah. for a for an action scene, scene right and sometimes you it, you really register it sometimes you don't sometimes it's it's hidden well enough that you don't really notice but that's what it felt like it's like oh this is like a diff, completely different way to film a movie and i shouldn't that's I guess, what it felt like at that moment i guess i shouldn't say that it's really bad it's actually pretty good cgi but yes you're right because you haven't recognized it anywhere else in the film so far it does jar you and it's uncanny valley because like mm in the quick in the really quick pan shots it's kind of hard to tell that it's cgi but then when it focuses even for a second you're like uh and it almost makes you feel like either warner brothers just didn't want to give that much movie to a to a horror film or that that was on it kind of makes you feel like maybe that was on purpose that it was a little bit of a nod (laughs) how about when gabriel picks up a chair looks at the detective and just throws it it all the way across the room to hit them like it's a carnival game yeah very good and which uh, and of course you're expecting them to crap like throw the chair through the window and jump out and then they chuck it across the room because yeah. of the use of gabriel talking through electronics and using the phones and stuff it's very clearly modern day but there are also parts of it where either purposefully being anachronistic or maybe it didn't want you to know exactly what time it was kind of like uh in it follows have you ever seen that movie that movie's really unclear of what decade it might be and the prison scene does that up a ton because when she's in that holding cell there's like a 70s disco girl like an 80s biker girl like a 90s like you know like south la like gang member type girl and it's just like who are all these women getting arrested in seattle that are dressing so like across the spectrum of looking like they're in different decades. Yeah, but is that is that that Gabriel has generated that? Because don't they when they come back, oh, she's then they sitting go with a bunch of all police officers are dead. You know what that that explains it a little bit. But you might be right that yeah, she might have generated all those. But she still be like beat up to egg on Gabriel at the beginning of it when he finally fully comes out. Yeah, but, but I don't know. Well, they, the, the, that many cops in that room. The bottom line is they want you to not know for sure. And the other thing is yeah. like they are trying to bend time and genre a little bit. And you're you're absolutely right that some of their moments that don't make sense. But I think the point of that is those moments don't make sense on purpose. Like they mm-hmm. you're, you're not sure where the line is between, and especially at that point in the movie, once because that's happening as you're realizing that. Gabriel is still inside of her brain and is like tweaking what she sees and experiences. And so there is I, I that. Thought the, uh, I thought the adopted mother and adopted sister's reaction to seeing Gabriel was actually really good. I like how that wasn't like played up because they already did that scene when the, when the lady fell out of the ceiling, they had the big close up with the big dramatic scream. Right. So then instead, when they, when they first see Gabriel on the VHS tape of when she was in, the hospital they're both just like oh my god uh, uh, like it right. seems more realistic to me and it almost makes you go i don't know it, it, well i think it's because it that's one, in different ways that's one of those that's one of those scenes where because it's presented to you in such a clinical way and because you're seeing what would normally be the horror movie monster again in broad daylight it's under mm-hmm. bright lights and the camera pans around and you see all of what's going on there 
I think it isn't it isn't a jump scare, but it is certainly no. horrifying. It yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> when they oh man, though when they show that and they talk about her surgery and stuff and it shows the doctor just, just shoving Gabriel back into her skull yeah. and then put the piece on. I'm like, I don't think that's how Also, where did that piece of that? skull come from? <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't look like a piece they cut off. It, it, yeah, you're right, because Gabriel would be out. It doesn't really look like a piece they cut off because it's like a, it's like a broke, it's like a jagged piece, like a puzzle piece yeah. that they like fit back in perfectly. I, I don't know. It's, it's that, probably made up. That doesn't look like the most clinical. Yeah. Uh, By the way, operation. did you notice that when the so so the we're jumping back, but the scene right at the beginning where the husband cracks her head into the wall, if you, they show that 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 break in the plaster a couple of times, mm-hmm. did you notice there's a face print in there? I didn't fully notice that there was a face print, but I could tell that as they kept showing it, that they want you to see like clearly the silhouette of a, of like a person and everything. So that, that makes sense to me to add that detail as well. Well, and the fact that her, the back of her head was constantly bleeding. Like at some point you had to kind of figure out like, okay, there's, this is not the same. I mean, it is the same wound in a sort of, figurative sense but it's not the same mm-hmm. wound in a literal sense as at the you know at the beginning of the movie um, yeah and i it's at when i was first thinking about it i was like man you'd think she'd get this checked out but it's like okay so the first time she notices it bleeding she probably doesn't want to deal with the questions of domestic violence right and that's like a a pretty common thing and people who are victims of that then the second time she wakes up and there's blood all over the place but that's she does go to the hospital right that time and then it's the third time where it's like, you'd think like a doctor or a nurse would, would do this, but she also is just so scared. And it's like, okay, I think I I can take that making sense. But there is a little part of you that at first I felt, I, I felt this at least questioning, like, why is she not getting well, this massive my, head wound looked at? My stomach dropped because I assumed she was going to come downstairs and tell Derek, like, you need to take me to the hospital and then another like domestic violence scene was going to happen because of course he's not going to take her to the hospital. He'll say no, yeah. you can stay here. Let me get you some ice. Blah blah blah. He's yeah, not going to. You know take how to the treat hospital. this. You you do this at work every day. Something yeah. Right. And so I, I'm. That was a moment when I was really glad he was dead because I just didn't want to keep seeing a woman get you know have an abusive spouse. Also, that I will say too, like when the movie started and it was like, oh, it's a preg- like the movie is starting with a pregnant woman and we know something terrible is going to happen, and they they uh, subvert your expectation of the whole movie being her being helpless and like put upon and oh my Especially baby my pregnant, baby yeah or like or is the baby evil too like a rosemary's baby exactly. type situation because yeah. you know you're not and then with the title malignant you're not really sure so but yeah they the baby it gets miscarried when she goes to the hospital there so then that's not even i was part of I it. Thought, but it turns out to be a part of it that that's why she has so many right. miscarriages because gabriel is feeding off the fetuses i guess but I thought that was a good way to subvert expectations on like, oh, this is just a pregnant woman movie. I, I There are so many movies where they use like a pregnant woman to show how helpless women are. And I think that that was at one time a really clever. When Rosemary's Baby was made, that was clever, right? It was clever yeah. that like you're showing how helpless women are because of the way society undermines them and like subjugates them. And at that point that like that makes that becomes a parable for that sort of like, oh, women are a, like oppressed in society. So that movie did it well, but there's only so many times you can see that where like that's the implication of the whole 
movie and still think yeah, like, it's, oh, it's, it's good. You know what I mean? It's very similar to like family moves into house and is very happy. Right. Like it's that kind of trope where you're like, oh, I, I, I've seen this before, so which I is what glad... I thought the movie might be. Yeah. Because I was... it's James Wan and he's made these movies that are, have fallen into line with that. Yeah. And I was glad that it, it at a lot of turns. And yeah, you said this movie's full of red herrings. Like um, at many turns, did it give you a trope and th- and you thought for a minute like, oh, groan. And then it didn't do with it what you thought. And I was glad for that um, because horror it we've talked about this before you know we did that whole month of horror movies last last october and mm-hmm. horror is so formulaic in so many ways and the reason lots of horror movies get made is because there's they're pretty straightforward plots usually uh yeah. <laughs> and i was glad that this movie while it was inspired by uh a whole genre and while it certainly paid homage to it that it wasn't so formulaic as to just be another sort of roll your eyes grown worthy. And movie. it's, it's definitely not. And I don't know if the first like weekend box office or second weekend is going to show this or how it's going to look, but it's definitely not uh, like just meant to pack in a bunch of teenagers. And then it gets out there. Oh, it's, it's not very good. I don't think it's a movie made for that audience exactly, but I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to like this movie and be very unexpectedly sure. enjoying it. I would agree with that. Which is why I'm excited. The, even though the end is super cheesy and she locks him away in a giant cell in a black void of her, of her mind. And she takes over from Gabriel. I think they're giving you a little bit of sequel bait and I'm all for it. I hope a sequel gets made and we get another, another round of malignant. And I think another reason one, they give you the little thing where at the end, the, the light is like buzzing, which is a Gabriel callback right. to him having, they don't explain that why he's, why he can control uh, electronics. They, they mention it in that first scene well, and that the, they hit him the, with the shock and, Oh, he seemed to be feeding off of it. But yeah, it doesn't really yeah. explain why he has like psionics, but specifically with electronics. Yeah. But so, but they, they do that at the end. And then it's, I also think there was a lot, like they gave more character development to some of the characters than, they needed like the sister's an actress and that doesn't it's not really necessary right to the plot of the movie the mother the adopted mother is a hoarder we don't get much with uh the the uh, serena the the kidnapped uh, biological mother and right. then also uh maybe you could even throw in more with that seattle underground which i i'm surprised there aren't more horror movies that take that into account and use that as a as a setting. So I think there's a lot they've left in there that's already established that they could work with in a sequel. Yeah. I, um, I would agree with that. And I think the questions that I have that I'd like to see answered are no one's going to believe that Maddie wasn't the murderer. So you have to kind of think that she's going to go to prison unless she just lives on the run. Right. Like maybe, maybe they could, because there weren't witnesses and things like that to the the first murderers. And it's, you know, there's a whole thing going on, but there were definitely witnesses to her murdering 30 cops in the police station. Right. Which I'm also assuming has cameras. And someone's going to have to hang for that. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) They're not going to, they're not going to go, Oh, well you got him locked away in your head. Oh, I, Oh, cool. It happens. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. A judge is going to say, yeah, we're going to, you're, you're innocent. So she gets a judge is like the same thing happened to my cousin i totally get it so Free. it kind of makes you think that like if there's a sequel there chances are that sequel starts with maddie like on death row 
And then mm-hmm. the interesting part. Do they is, have to work together? Yes. I think it becomes a prison break movie where Gabriel's like, hey, you're not getting out of this yourself. Like, if you want to get out of here, you're going to need me. And of course, at that point, then the justice system is the enemy. Uh, and, you know, you're fighting against this injustice. Well, I didn't commit these murders. My tumor did. Yeah, and she has to find a way to to work with Gabriel to to get out, but then also at the end, defeat Gabriel. And then, well, yeah, so well, then the no, two no, people No, 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 at the end of that to... movie, he's fully in control. Ooh. You know what I mean? Then he's Gabriel's like, on the I'm loose. back, baby. I'm back, baby. Or sorry, I guess I should do it. Sorry. Baby, like that. <laughs> there you go. That's that's another one. It's like, yeah, they're static, but why would him talking to you through a, an unknown number phone call cause the your smartphone screen to glitch out? Yeah, but d- that's just what you expect from those scenes, so it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. No. Again, it was tropey in kind of all the right ways. Uh, and and I would say like the Rotten Tomatoes score right now on Malignant seventy six percent. I'd say it's about right. I'd say it was three. It was a three quarters good movie. But honestly, there aren't a lot of three quarters good movies made nowadays. So, and I think there might only be eh, like a third of normal, you know, just like regular movie watchers who might really enjoy it, like the in the sense that we did. Right. And so the fact that it can get a seventy six, I think, is pretty good. Yeah. For it. So I would say if you haven't picked up on it yet, we are both recommending like go watch Malignant. If you're a horror food movie person, if you're not, you're not going to like this movie. I mean, there. let's just say that. If you don't like horror movies, you're not going to like this movie. But that's <laughs> – you could say yeah. that for most <laughs> horror movies, right? Um, I think so, yeah. If you can tolerate a little bit of gore and a little bit of body horror and also like about – I don't know. How long do I think I was anxious? 60 minutes at the end of that movie, 50 minutes at the end of that movie just being like <gasps> – then go uh go check out malignant it's in theaters and on uh hbo max until october 10th i believe so you've got a few weeks so yeah if you uh if you are a fan of horror movies also october's coming up uh we like to hit our favorite horror movies so if there's anything coming out that you would like to hear us talk about maybe we'll try to fit multiple ones you know try to get some of the newer ones or some classic ones and make multiple episodes either way if you're a fan of that and you like hearing us talk about that send us any ideas you might have as always you can hit us up on our twitter at nerd that's at n-e-r-d underscore a-s-s-o-c you can also email us at nerd at gmail.com so i'm really excited to hop into october and see what we come up with and uh we'll uh we'll talk to you guys next week 